The Nevers Podcast presents In Conversation With. Welcome back to The Nevers Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the discussion and dissection of every episode of upcoming HBO drama series, The Nevers, from writer-director Joss Whedon. You can find our website at hbothenevers.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at hbothenevers. And if you have any ideas for podcasts, comments, or questions, feel free to email us at theneverspodcast at gmail.com. We also have a Patreon. Consider joining us there. Benefits include Nevers Podcast merchandise, entry into giveaways, personalised shout-outs, and access to our Patreon-only show, Dollhouse Awaken, our revisit of every episode of The Dollhouse, and so much more to come. I'm your co-host, Tig, and today we have a very special guest. Frontman of steampunk mainstays The Cog Is Dead, give a big Nevers Podcast welcome to Joe Mondelli, a.k.a. Captain John Sprocket. Hey! <laughs> Thanks a bunch for joining us today. It's a real pleasure to have you here. How have you been doing recently? I've, I've been doing pretty well, uh, c- considering the way things have been this year. Still managing to get by, still managing to make music and survive. So that's that's a good thing. Excellent. That's pretty much all we can ask for these days. So I'm glad you're all doing well over there. So for our listeners who maybe we're just kind of ushering into the wonderful world of steampunk, and they may not be as familiar with your outfit, can you tell us a little bit about The Cog Is Dead? Sure. Well, The Cog Is Dead is a very theatrical steampunk band. Um, we we don't just uh, get on stage and play music. There's sort of a backstory that we're Victorian-era time travelers who uh, have traveled from the 1800s to the future and seen um, steam power has pretty much been done away with and we're living in a very digital world. And... Um, so we travel around and we play music, but also we try to bring back uh, what we consider to be the the beautiful uh, days of steam power and um, beautiful craftsmanship and a lot of the, the, the beauty, I guess, of uh, Victorian era architecture and fashion. Um, and it's, it's basically just an excuse to have fun and put on a very theatrical show. Awesome. As a big fan of kind of concept artists and concept acts, that sounds right up my street i'm hopefully one day if you get over here i'll be able to come see you guys i'd love to thank you uh, so just what is steampunk music to you like do you think it's a particular genre or is it just more of an attitude i i don't think it's necessarily a genre of music as much as it is an aesthetic and a theme uh we've performed with so many other people within the steampunk music community and every band is a little bit different it has a different sound and a different style. And uh, I think usually it's much more a, a, a literary genre that's been sort of adapted into a musical performance. Our music, for instance, is very diverse. We have, Part of that is the theme of being time travelers. We write music in different styles, saying that we've been influenced by music from the different eras we've been to. Uh, other bands will stick to a very specific sound, whether it's an industrial sound or a very old retro sound um so i think really it all comes down to having a theme of steampunk somewhere in your uh either in your stories and your lyrics or in uh 
your costumes. Uh, there, there are there are so many different interpretations, but it's like people say, you, you you know it when you see it. If you see people wearing certain outfits, you can kind of <laughs> get an idea. Okay, they're definitely a steampunk influenced band. Excellent, excellent. So, have you always been particularly musical, and did you then add the steampunk in later, or did you get into the steampunk aesthetic and then start playing music? I've within that style. Definitely always been into music. Um, I I took guitar lessons when I was maybe around 12 years old. And uh, when I was younger, uh, I really wanted to do comedy music because I became really obsessed with Weird Al Yankovic and got into a lot of comedy music in my early teens. So I've always had a love for music. And my my dad, I found out, also played drums. He hadn't played in, in years since he was maybe a teenager. But when I started playing music, that inspired him to want to get some drums and start playing. So um, we started playing together, and that's sort of what spawned the idea of then maybe putting together a band of some sort. Down the road, uh, we once we started actually forming uh, a band, we found the steampunk style and it all sort of came together organically as time went on nice that's always the best way when it just kind of it grows from something something natural when did you first start singing so you you mentioned that you started learning guitar at 12 when did you kind of add the vocals to that and did you study it formally or was it just something that as we said grew organically from the sound uh yeah it definitely kind of grew organically when i was uh when I was a teenager, I didn't consider myself to be a singer at all. Uh, I, I was embarrassed to even sing in front of people. And uh, I think partly getting into comedy music for me was an excuse to write music and not be as concerned about my, my voice because a lot of comedy artists, uh, not all, but some, are not necessarily polished singers, but the what you appreciate about what they do is is the parody, the lyrics, the humor behind it. So... For me, I got into that first and uh, wasn't as concerned about how I sounded. And if you listen to any of my really old stuff before The Cog is Dead, it's awful. <laughs> um, <laughs> so a lot of it, uh, just, just getting to where I am now, and I still don't consider myself to be a great singer, but I, I, I've i practiced a lot and just kind of tried to continue expanding my range and refining and, and getting better at singing on key. So that's just come from from practice and continuing to do this on a daily basis. You mentioned there briefly that you have old from material from before The Cog is Dead. Were you in many bands before that, or was it just more kind of the freeform comedic stuff that you yeah, did? Yeah, mostly the comedy things I wrote. Um, I, I recorded a lot of things just on my computer, in my bedroom, writing parody songs. So a, a lot of the stuff, even before The Cog is Dead, was just solo work. Um, these days, a lot of stuff is still sort of solo work because of having to work during the pandemic. Um, so <laughs> I'm, I'm used to working in isolation. But before The Cog is Dead, we had sort of formed a band. Again, this was just me, my dad on drums, and a friend playing bass guitar. Uh, at that time, we called ourselves Double Barrel Boomstick, which was a name a friend of mine suggested. <laughs> but that that band, literally, we played at an open mic night once and uh, a friend's backyard fire. You know, that, that was about the extent of that. So I'd say The Cog is Dead was the, the first real uh, band that actually did anything and, and performed and kind of went anywhere. When it comes to creating your new music, do you have like a particular process you follow or is it just kind of you freeball and see what happens? It, I think it's different for each song. Um, sometimes I'll have an idea for uh, a specific story and try to think of uh, a musical style that would fit that that story. Um, other times, 
I'll just be inspired by a musical style. Um, since the music is all over the place, you know, for those who are unfamiliar with listening to the albums, uh, you know, the, the songs are all in different styles or different genres. So there may be a song that's sort of a dark, old-fashioned folk song and then a song that's a very light, whimsical song. You can have sad songs and um, rock songs and country and even a little bit of reggae. You know, it's very diverse. So sometimes it'll just be like, oh, I, I love this particular style, maybe from the 1970s that Queen did. It would be fun to do something along those lines. So sometimes it'll just start with that. But yeah, I think each one is its own individual uh, beast when it comes to writing a song. So every everyone is a little different. I, I guess most of the time when I start, I'll have an idea and I'll record something very rough. So I'll grab my phone and just sing something into it if I'm away from the house. Or uh, I'll just sit down and hear at the mic with my guitar and record something that I'll come back to later. But uh, I don't have an exact process. <laughs> I guess that's one of the many benefits to uh, kind of having a very freeform style in your band is that you can really just, if you have an idea for a track, you can lay it down and it always works. Yeah. It's one nice thing about having um, a home studio too, since I've always recorded from home. So if I have an idea and I want to start working on something, I can actually come in here and start producing it. And if I don't like it, then, you know, no time really, or no no money was wasted on on trying to record. But if it if it's going well, I'm already in production on the finished track, so I can just keep working. So... That's that's sort of been a, a nice thing over the years, being able to uh, work from home. Have you ever like had a strike of inspiration at three in the morning and just rushed into the studio to quickly record? Oh something? yeah, that happens a lot. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Do any do any of them make it to the album, or do they always just stay kind of ephemeral? It, it all depends on which ones get finished. So uh, I have I have lots of unfinished song ideas too. Uh, there are several that I'm still planning to go back to eventually, but. So I'm I'm so scatterbrained. So I'll have an idea, and I'll come in here, and I'll just start recording, just so I can come back to it later. And then, of course, I f- forget about it, move on to something else, and then years later, think, oh yeah, I should go back. To-. So <laughs> I have a lot of works in progress that I I want to finish eventually, but always always working on something and coming up with new ideas. <laughs> Sounds like me and my writing. See, so yeah, I I totally get you. 2020 is the 10-year anniversary of the Cog is Dead's debut album, Steam Powered Stories, and you've just released a special anniversary edition featuring the remastered album, songwriter commentary, instrumentals, and some demos. What were your memories from recording that first album, and is there any kind of interesting stories you'd like to share with us? I, I definitely had no idea the album was going to have uh, have fans of any kind. Be- <laughs> back, back then... Um, Let's see. Well, the, the band formed in 2006, at least the, the beginning of it. This is before we were officially steampunk. I just decided, let's form a band. And um, by around 2009, once we had become a steampunk band and were working on this album, I remember back then thinking we were going to be uh, just a really obscure band that people didn't really get because uh, at, at that time, steampunk wasn't nearly as mainstream or as well known as it is now i remember telling people i was starting a steampunk band and they thought i was talking about some sort of punk rock music as they they never heard the term (laughs) steampunk um so i remember back then saying man if we even sell 10 copies of this album i'll consider it a success because i i didn't think anyone was going to be interested The, the album was recorded in my bedroom it was just on my little bedroom studio back when i was uh 
sharing a house with a couple of friends. One of them was Chris, who played bass, um, so he would he would come in and record the bass in there. But um, very very low budget, uh, or I guess n- no budget, since it was all just using home <laughs> uh, recording equipment. In fact, one thing that I think is funny is I didn't even have uh, Pro Tools back then, which is what I use for all my music production now. I was. Mm. I was still using Adobe Premiere, which is video editing software. Wow. <laughs> um, because I, I never learned properly how to mix or uh, be a, an audio engineer. So I just sort of self-taught myself from my existing knowledge of video editing because I had done high school video projects. And so all of Steam Powered Stories was recorded and mixed entirely using cool edit pro and then imported and mixed in adobe premiere so <laughs> did an entire album with a video editing program which is pretty crazy wow that's pretty awesome <laughs> especially looking back now because it's it's it was it took so much more time it probably took three or four times longer to do it that way than it would be <laughs> to use an actual recording program is that was that one of the reasons why you wanted to go back and really kind of rework the album and get it sounding as good as it possibly could? Partly, yeah. I mean, and it's it's been ten years since it's come out. Um, I've learned a lot more in that time when it comes to music production. Um, I didn't want to make any major changes to the album, so I didn't go back and change the mix or or alter it in any way. I just took the tracks and I remastered them to make them just sound a little bit more polished. So. Some of the things just stand out a little bit better. There's enhanced clarity, um, but I wanted it to obviously stay true to that original album, uh, especially because that album contains um, the song The Death of the Cog, which is The Cog is Dead's most well-known song. And I I just didn't think it would be right to go in and, and alter what was there. Uh, so I just wanted to present it sounding as good as it possibly could, just kind of polishing it up a little bit. You've worked with a lot of the other kind of big names in steampunk music, people like Steam Power Giraffe and UK-based chap-hop artist Professor Elemental. Of all your collaborations, who do you think is the one you've really most enjoyed working with? And are there any other acts that you would like to team up with in the future? Um, I've enjoyed working with everyone. Honestly, I think that um, a lot of people within the steampunk music community have that a similar mindset we're all independent artists and we all love uh supporting each other and most of us are fans of each other's work as it is so i i think for me it was very exciting to work with steam powered giraffe because i had been a fan of theirs for a long time i discovered them right when they were starting out in 2008 which was right around the same time the cog is dead was starting and i watched them grow from being um a, a very small sort of street performance act. They would they would uh, stand out in the street and, and perform and, and do pantomime. And I liked the music that I heard then. And then watching them grow from street performers to being arguably the biggest steampunk musical act around now. And and I have just always loved their their style of music as well. Uh, I, I think we have a lot in common. Similar, we we're both diverse in our musical styles and have eclectic tastes. So uh, I had been admiring them for a while and wanting to work with them. So it was exciting to get a chance to work with them. And I think they did a fantastic uh, job on the song that we did together. Um, and yeah, there are plenty of other people that I would love to work with in the future. And hopefully down the road, uh, maybe we can. I think one thing about this time right now with live music still being mostly canceled all over, 
a lot of artists are still recording from home. So I feel like this might be a good time to do more collaborations because yeah. if you can't go out and perform, you, you can work together remotely like this. If there was one thing you could tell people that didn't know much about steampunk and steampunk music, what would you tell them to kind of bring them into the fold and like educate them in the world of time-traveling robot musicians? Well, as far as steampunk, too, I, I feel like it might be something you just have to to see and check out <laughs> to, to be drawn in. Because with The Cog is Dead, when we came across steampunk i hadn't heard of it before i had seen things with steampunk elements but didn't know what to call them but when i first saw a steampunk guitar i really loved the way it looked and i showed it to chris our bass player he told me about steampunk because he'd heard of it so he introduced me to it i started looking at abney park at the time i think they were the only other steampunk band i knew of but i was seeing photos of a band wearing all these awesome costumes with these mechanical instruments and it just sort of led me into this whole immense science fiction fantasy world that uh, I fell in love with. Now, as far as the music goes, you don't necessarily have to be a fan of steampunk or the steampunk aesthetic to enjoy the music because there are so many different styles of music that <laughs> steampunks make. With The Cog is Dead, I've always tried to keep an element of, I guess, steampunk storytelling within the lyrics, but musically you could be listening to songs that were written today or in you know the the 50s 60s 70s 80s so I, I try to write a little something for everybody so i think within the steampunk music scene there's also a little something musically for everyone there are bands like the men that will not be blamed for nothing that do much more punk music or um abney park is a little bit more industrial and electronic there's there's definitely diversity and a little something for uh, i think every musical taste Excellent. When it comes to performing live, if that ever becomes a thing again, which do you prefer to perform at? The big kind of steampunk festivals with all the kind of all the um, attractions and stuff or the more kind of smaller, more personal gigs, which is which is your favorite to do? They're they're both a lot of fun for different ways. Um, either way, I, I love performing to uh, a really engaged audience. So as long as as long as the audience is really enjoying it, uh, we're really enjoying it. You know, I think the the really big shows are fun. Uh, I think mostly it's just the excitement, the excitement of being on a big stage in a big room with that many people who are really enjoying it. Um, so those definitely are some of my favorite to perform when we get a chance to do those. But we've we've had times where we've played to just a handful of people, whether it's a small intimate event or just a smaller convention that has a smaller turnout but when we have people that kind of like we had people that have driven over four hours just to to come see us perform and so those shows mean a lot to us because we know that even though there may not be a lot of people there the, we're performing for them and what we're doing means a lot to them so uh there's still that exchange of of energy getting to perform even for a smaller crowd like that what would you say are your favorite and least favorite venues that you've played at? Um, some of my favorites are probably Dragon Con in Atlanta, Georgia, mostly because that's, I think, the, the largest stage and room we've ever played to. So it's it's just it's it's so it's such a big event that <laughs> overall Dragon Con is massive anyway. But I remember the first time we played there in 2014, and coming back to the hotel after the show and looking at pictures online and just 
thinking, "Wow, this looks like a real concert." Like not <laughs> not not a little uh, not a convention, but you know, like a, a big uh, you know expensive ticketed concert. Uh, so that Dragon Con is is always a lot of fun, and I think my personal all time favorite event is uh, Wild Wild West Con, which is held in Tucson, Arizona at Old Tucson Studios, which is an actual movie studio that was built back in the 1940s to film westerns. And it was used for years for tons of iconic western movies. Uh, A lot of John Wayne movies were filmed there. And um, it's now a theme park. Well, actually, now, because of the pandemic, it's currently closed. And I hope eventually it reopens. But um, it's been used as a theme park, I think, since the 90s. And it's such an immersive event because it's like holding a convention in a Western town. So we performed the concert in an old wild West saloon up on the stage. And the, I don't know what it is, if it's just the the venue or if that area has a really, really excited uh, steampunk community, but (laughs) I've been there, I think four or five times and it's always my favorite event to perform at least. I don't know if I want to specifically say, uh, (laughs) places, because especially because uh, every event has had wonderful people. Uh, so I'll say there was one event a few years ago that I guess switched. They, they sold to another person who was running it and they had a lot of issues. There were several celebrity guests that canceled days before the event, which should have been a red flag. And then we, we went on to perform and didn't get paid. They said they would eventually pay us. I think it was finally a year later they started having a pre-sale for the next year's convention and finally sent us payment out of that. Uh, But then, of course, that event ended up canceling, I think, about a week or two before the the event was supposed to happen. Uh, So that year, everyone that had already booked hotels and everything... uh, pretty much you know just <laughs> got canceled so that that was that was a pretty pretty rough experience but generally we have good experiences and, and we love uh going to conventions okay picture the scene you're at your favorite place of form got a packed crowd they're jumping it's really great night you've got one last track to play what is your like the cog is dead go to track to play like your uncle. Yeah, well, we we normally like to end the show with with two songs back to back. The death of the cog uh, is it's it's still the the most played and I think the most well known song. And I always say that I owe so much to that track because that's the one that first got the cog its initial recognition. Um, back in two, I think two thousand nine, I I I would just go and look for anyone on MySpace that was into steampunk and send them friend requests. And uh, eventually some people listened to the music and started sharing it. That That's the first song that anyone listened to and started sharing with people and, and gained us a fan base to begin with. So I always like to save that one for, uh, for the end. And then of course, right, right after that, we play burn it down, which is um, very much sort of a, a heavy swing rock style song and just a nice high energy way to end the show. Other than that, if if the audience is, you know, asking for an encore, then we'll just play something else that's high energy, but <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. That's our standard gotta give them what they want. Our standard finale. <laughs> what is your favorite piece of non musical steampunk media? Because I mean, as you mentioned, steampunk is such a wide reaching aesthetic. There's movies, books, even video games now. 
What would be your kind of your crowning pick for a piece of steampunk media? That's kind of a tough question because I I think more than uh, more than just the specific medium, I I love just the overall aesthetic of steampunk. Whether it's uh, in, in a painting or a photo or in a movie, I mean, it, it it is visual. It's a very visual medium, and of course, I guess with with music, uh, that's entirely uh, an, an audio uh, medium. So it's it's completely different. Um, so with the music, we have to sort of paint that picture with with words or maybe music that evokes those feelings. But visually, when you go to steampunk conventions, you see people who make these amazing costumes and very detailed props. Uh, a lot of people custom build them. They'll they'll three D print or or sculpt. Um, I've seen some amazing artistry at steampunk events that people have made, uh, as well as as paintings and and uh, things like that. Actually, I have the artwork from our most recent album, Songs of the People. And the Ooh. artwork was drawn by Andrea Casarano, who is a really talented artist from Italy, mm. who just emailed me with some fan art one day. And I said, this is beautiful artwork and asked if she would do the uh, the cover art for the album. Um, wow. So, yeah, our, our art uh, in any visual form, I guess, <laughs> uh, I, I think steampunk looks good in. How do you feel that the birth of the Internet and social media and streaming platforms like Spotify how do you feel that has impacted the music business? And do you think it's a good thing for sort of smaller, more independent acts, allowing them to get their music to the fans that maybe wouldn't have heard them in a more traditional label-oriented world? Yeah, I know I hear different opinions. Some people love it, some people hate it. I think one thing that everyone having access to getting their music on these streaming platforms and other places is that it's it's really leveled the playing field for anyone who wants to um release their music um you know b- before we had whether it was streaming movies and tv or music you had to be on a record label and you had to basically go through these gatekeepers to get signed and have them release your music if you wanted it to reach a wide audience now with the internet anyone can release their own music and be on iTunes or Spotify or any of the same exact platforms as the top tier major label musicians. So I think that is, is an amazing thing. I know that not everyone makes a lot of money off of some of these things because these companies do take a good share of your money. So that in that mm. way, it makes it very hard for independent musicians to make a good living because you know, for like Spotify, for every stream, I think you get maybe a tiny fraction of a penny for for a stream. Mm. Um, it's it's pretty rough in that way. But if you can reach a wide enough audience, you know, you, you you'll get some revenue from your your streams and your sales. But you can also continue to promote and bring in other revenue, whether that's through merchandise or through direct support from fans on things like Patreon. So there are definitely lots of ways for artists, as long as, as you can connect to your audience. It's it's much more than just having your things on a single platform. So if you're just relying on Spotify or just relying on YouTube, you're not really going to be able to. But if you can think of your audience as a whole and, and reaching them in every avenue, whether it's through Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, YouTube, and trying to make sure to interact with your audience and make sure it's seen by as many people as possible, then in that way you are able to have a, a successful career or at least make an income of some kind as an independent artist. 
So in that way, it's it's nice because you don't necessarily have to have a record label. And if you don't have a record label, you're not worrying about splitting the revenue with the record label or them taking mm. all of all of your money. So there are a lot of advantages to being able to be an independent artist these days. Larger slice of a smaller mm. pie, so to right. speak. Obviously, as you can tell by the name, this is a podcast about the upcoming Joss Whedon show, The Nevers. Are you familiar with that show or any of Whedon's work? And are you as excited about it as we are? Uh, I'm familiar with some of Whedon's work. Uh, I love Firefly. Um, I, I'm Ooh. not familiar with the, the Nevers. I don't know much about it, but... Uh, Hearing his name attached to it, I'm definitely curious and interested to find out more. Yeah, we were talking to uh, Stephen from the SteampunkExplorer.com, and uh, he was saying there's a lot of there's a lot of buzz in the community about the show just because it's Victorian era sci-fi, and there's and as it's on HBO, there's so few kind of mainstream steampunk TV shows these days, and the ones that do come out don't they tend to be quite light on the steampunk, so. Everyone's really hoping that this one will really kind of bring some new blood to the genre. Yeah, that would be awesome. We've got to address the socially distanced elephant in the room. COVID has forced the world to grind to a halt, and few industries have been as brutally affected as live music and music in general. How are the Coggers Dead coping with the pandemic, and how do you think the music scene will be changed once the world has returned to something vaguely approaching normal. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's definitely affected all, all of us. And uh, I think we're getting by for the most part similar to the way we did before, because I, I, I think every independent band functions in a different way. Some, some bands rely completely on gigging and touring. Um, some bands uh, travel just to conventions and do other things here and there in between. We have always been just sort of a a once in a while convention band, if that makes sense. We 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 weren't one of the bands that were always traveling and always performing. So outside of the convention appearances, we all have day jobs and and do other work. So in that sense, the the biggest thing is we are no longer able to get together and play shows. Um, so. All of us are still getting by financially the way we did before, uh, whether it's through uh, getting back to work or or like for me, I I still always worked out of the home studio when I'm not doing music. I do voiceover work, so I've still been able to work out of the home studio and and do the same job. Um, Renata, our drummer, was affected uh, because her main job was stagehand work, so she would always set up stages and lights for big arena shows, so for a while she had absolutely no work and i know now she's starting to be able to get back to work again uh, depending on the events and things but it definitely hasn't hasn't been easy as far as being able to continue to make music i've had to proceed doing music on my own which ironically uh, i had already started doing last year and talked about it in a video i pers- posted on january 1st uh, because I said everyone is so busy uh, because she was traveling and doing stagehand work and we just are not able to meet together as easily and as frequently. So I was continuing to produce uh, music solo already for 2020. I had no idea the pandemic was coming. Um, but in a way, because I had already started doing that, it sort of paved the way for me to be able to continue once we all had to be completely isolated to, to proceed as I had already started planning for the year. So I've been 
writing and recording the music in isolation here from from the home studio and still able to write and and release things and I'm working on various projects and just kind of juggling everything but thankfully still still getting by uh and and I guess because we didn't rely solely on travel and, and concerts uh to earn a living we're able to still get by so for me it's you know hurt a little bit but because I didn't depend solely on that I've been able to focus more on things like doing um, a live streaming show or uh, finding other ways to continue to connect with an audience uh, or, or build up the Patreon and make up for that loss of not getting to go and travel to conventions and do shows. Best of luck to everyone over there. And I, I hope it all, you will kind of continue to stay awesome. And to everyone out there, I hope you're all staying safe and clean and fingers crossed we'll all get back to being relatively normal quite soon. So John, I just want to say, huge huge thanks for coming out today it's been a lot of fun talking to you you too and if our followers want to find you out there in the world of social medias where can we kind of hear your stuff and chat with you on the net sure if you want to hear music uh you can find it on spotify or youtube or if you want to purchase it it's available pretty much anywhere music is being sold on digital platforms if uh, you're looking on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, we're just The Cog is Dead. Facebook, you know, dot com slash The Cog is Dead, or all the other ones, it's usually The Cog is Dead. YouTube.com slash The Cog is Dead. Or just uh, The Cog is Dead dot com. And uh, there, there is a lot of stuff out there. And uh, especially these days, I'm trying to continue to put out more content since I'm stuck at home a lot more anyway so i have a little more time to, to produce more so um yeah there's there's always uh more music coming out and more more to discover and listen to excellent well i look forward to following you on all your various platforms and i hope all our listeners do too thank you and if you want to find me on social media i am on twitter at tig at tnp it's t-a-h-e-g-a-t-t-n-p so until next time i've been tig and this has been the Nevers Podcast. Oh, Mr. Hamilton, what have you done? Look at this terrible trend you've begun. You make me sick, you contemptible dog. I blame you for the death of the cog. Clock used to be such magnificent things. Beautiful sprockets and dazzling springs. But you gave the people your digital beast. And in turn now all gears are deceased. How things have changed from when I was a boy. Clockwork would tick and would bring me much joy. But with your advent there's no need to wind. Everything charming has been left behind! Mr. Hamilton, you dirty fiend Your modern timepiece is cruel and obscene I was a lover of gears great and small They all were my friends and you've murdered them all This episode of the Nevers Podcast was written, researched, produced, and edited by Matthew Yamanashi The intro and outro music was produced by Gilirme Morais we are more than just a podcast. We're a fan community. You can keep up to date on The Nevers and chat with other fans by visiting hbothenevers.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search HBO The Nevers, all one word, and click that follow button. The Nevers podcast is not endorsed by Mutant Enemy. 
Warner Media Entertainment or any of its subsidiaries, including Home Box Office, HBO, and is intended for entertainment and educational purposes only. The Nevers and all names, pictures, and audio clips are registered trademarks and or copyrights of their respective copyright holders. They're coming. Are you ready? Mr. Hamilton, just watch your back. Hide all those 